Hey guys, so today we actually have our awesome friend Chris. He is all the way from Sarasota. He is part of an awesome ministry that does prayer and worship around the beach in Siesta Key. And that's actually the number one beach in America. So he's actually, you know, pioneering a ground for the Lord in an area that is basically flooded with people and that need Jesus and coming from all parts of the world. Chris, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, how did you get into the ministry? Like what got you to this point in life where you're literally selflessly living for the Lord to reach people? Wow. Well, uh, first off, thanks a lot for having me on here. It's always fun to talk about what the Lord has done in my life. He's been so good to me more than I deserve. Um, you know, I grew up in a home with um, parents that didn't know the Lord. Uh, my dad, he um, he was Catholic when he was a kid, and he went to a Catholic school and had a really bad experience. Um, never really told me all the details, but it made him um, in, in basically third grade um, turn his back on the idea of God for whatever reason. And my mom, she um, she grew up in a Presbyterian home, and she went to church camps and stuff when she was a teenager. Uh, but she felt that um, you know the world had more to offer than the church. And you know, sixties came around, sex, drugs, rock and roll. You know, and yeah. she kind of just slipped into that and new age kind of theology. And so by the time uh, my sister and I were born, you know, they really didn't have much faith to speak of, um, and so they. Uh, they didn't really pass anything on to us, but we did go to church about maybe five or six times when I was really, really young, but never really knew why. Um, I had a pretty good childhood. Um, you know, I had a lot of fun growing up. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, you know, the Midwest, and um, there's a lot to do up there as a kid. You know, you got the four seasons, you got hills, you got, you know, really fun stuff and fun people and got IHOP there. IHOP, yeah, which <laughs> yes. I did not know about yes. um, and didn't come till later, but right. Um, but yeah, you know, from 1982 when I was born to 1994 when I moved from there to here, um, I was having the time of my life, really. I mean, I had issues with my parents here and there, but it was nothing that really detracted from my enjoyment of life. Um, and then things definitely changed once I got here. Yeah. Could you share um, what exactly happened when you moved here? Like, what got you to, I guess to that, like seeking of something that's more than, you know, is this all to life there is? Yeah. So, um, so I was 11 years old when we moved here and, you know, like I said, I had a great life up North. I had lots of friends, everybody knew me and, you know, life was just easy and fun and, and pleasant. And, um, when I got down here, I noticed that things were a lot different. You know, people kind of had their own little clicks, right? You know? Everybody sort of had like this, like, identity that they would wear, you know, mm -hmm. like whether it was through their clothing or their hair or whatever. And, you know, you had like the skaters here, the, 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 the wiggers here, you know, <laughs> that's not the most yeah, easy yeah, yeah. word, but, yeah. um, you know, you had the, the, the jocks here, the preps here, you know, all these different groups. And, you know, I just, I, I started to at that point sort of develop this identity crisis. You know, I started right. to ask myself like, who am I really? Um, and then you also have just the, the uncomfortableness of being in a new place around a whole bunch of people that you've never met. And I was in sixth grade. I came here halfway through the, the, the school year. So I was the new kid. And right. That's always fun. That, oh, dude, it was rough, man. And on top of that, I also had a face full of pimples. Can you believe it? Um, and so that added to my self-consciousness quite a bit. And, um, you know, the, the next couple of years were rough. I mean, you know, I struggled to really, like I said, figure out who I was, figure out who I fit in with, you know, develop a sense of self-confidence. You know, I had played sports a lot up north, but I had given that up once I moved here because my parents wanted me to do it. And I was like, nah, because you moved me here, I'm just going to be a jerk <laughs> and do everything that you tell me not to do and nothing oh, that you tell me childhood. to do, you know? Um, and so I had given that up. So I really didn't have any hobbies or passions. And, um, so I went through a lot of depression, honestly, you know, when I was 13 years old, I took a scalpel from my science class and I actually carved the words life sucks into my left arm. Oh, wow. Um, Did the know, scar still leave? It uh, you can't really see it too well. You can see just barely gotcha. in a couple spots, but you really can't make right. it out. Um, so and, you know, 
that kind of symbolizes where I was at, you know, mentally and emotionally. And, right. um, and then, uh, two years later, my life radically changed. Um, I got diagnosed with leukemia. Wow. Um, I was 15 years wow. old. Um, it was December 1st, 1997. And, um, it was, uh, the diagnosis came after about three weeks of having, you know, swollen lymph nodes appear all over my body. Right. And, um, some were really big, like they look like little ping pong balls yeah. and know. and for people who don't know what leukemia is just in case uh that's a form of cancer where it's involving you know your your blood and you're having problems with that so yeah i mean you know honestly you know we know that that when you decree certain things there is a change you know and i and i feel like when i decreed that my life sucked over mm -hmm. myself it actually altered my physiology in a way because mm -hmm. I don't have any family history of cancer. Yeah, I didn't really words, have any risk words factors. Words have power to them. Yeah, and you know, and and my cancer was was the type where my body was actually attacking itself. I mean, I was mm. producing defective immune system cells. I right. had no defense, so basically, I had no way to fight off things that could try to harm me. Um, and so, so I got that diagnosis and my life completely changed overnight. I got immediately put into a chemotherapy program and that was at all children's hospital in St. Pete. Um, it was 26 months long. Um, so you can imagine what I was thinking whenever I'm looking at this. I mean, here I am 15 years old. Right. I'm talking about like a seventh of my life mm -hmm. that I'm yep. about to spend in chemotherapy. Um, but, you know, honestly, it didn't really hit me right away because, I, you know, I felt good. You know, I felt like a young, virile man, you know, other than these lumps and a bad cough, I really felt totally normal. Um, but I had no idea what was waiting for me. No yeah. idea. I mean, it was it was horrible. I mean, it was it, it's like I, I can't even really put it into words, honestly. I mean, and my mind wouldn't really go there. Like when I was going through all these really difficult moments, like. I'm not a dweller, you know, I'm not one to feel sorry for myself. Right. I, didn't, I didn't sulk in it. I didn't share my pain. You didn't ask the deep questions like, so why is this happening? Why am I here in the well, universe? Well, I did eventually, oh, okay. um, but not until I really experienced like a lot of the physical and emotional beatdown of right. this treatment and the disease. Um, you know, I was in the hospital for the first time uh, right after that diagnosis and on the second day, I remember I was getting this infusion of chemotherapy <clears throat> and it was the craziest thing. I mean, the nurse brings in this giant bag of mm. yellow, bright yellow fluid, and she's got full body scrubs on protecting every inch of her skin. And I'm wow. thinking, you're going to put this in my body, but you don't want it to touch your skin. Like that right, doesn't right. feel good to think about. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm two days into this infusion and I'm not feeling horrible, but I'm starting to definitely notice some changes. And I'll never forget this. They brought in my lunch and they took the tray lid off. And as soon as the smell hit my nose, I just barfed everywhere. Wow. Um, uncontrollably. And uh, for the whole rest of that day, I was just extremely nauseous and couldn't keep anything down. And, um, and then I was out of the hospital on the, on the third day and... I was into the new normal, you know, um, you know, at that point, you know, my body had actually changed. I mean, I had significantly less energy. I had significantly less motivation. I slept a lot worse. I felt sick a lot more. Um, I, I had become a different person like in a, a weekend basically. And, um, and then it just kept on going like that. And the other thing about having cancer, you know, I mean, the chemo is horrible, but the other thing about it is that uh, you live a quarantine lifestyle. Right. Know? Like I was social distancing before it became trendy. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, they told uh, me that if I didn't stay away from pretty much everybody, yeah. I could catch something and die. You know, right. that was that was my reality. Um, so you can imagine what I was thinking and feeling all the time. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, am I going to make it through this day? You know, um, so I learned to self-medicate. Um, yeah, I learned to self-medicate through food. I became a binge eater, you know, I mean, when I wasn't feeling nauseous in the hospital, I really had no problems keeping food down. Right. And, uh, and 
I just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. I mean, it was like a sport. You know, my arms right. got this big. Oh, wow. I got so fat so quick that I got stretch marks. Oh, wow. On both sides of my torso. You would never. I, mean, I wasn't playing. Think it was like, like 40 pounds in four months. Wow. Yeah. And I was already pretty overweight to begin with. Um, yeah, that's the crazy part because usually for leukemia patients, it usually goes the other way mm-hmm. where you were all big and now all of a sudden you lost 30 to 40 pounds and you're just like, where did all my weight go? Mm-hmm. Speaking from a nurse's perspective right here, you know? Well, you know, that's exactly what it was like when I was receiving the drugs. I mean, I, I didn't want to eat. I mean, I couldn't even think about food. I was nauseous just at the thought. Mm. Um, but when I was out of the hospital, which would be about for a six week time span and not getting those infusions, I felt relatively normal from that standpoint. And plus I was given anti-nausea pills and appetite suppressant or appetite stimulants rather like prednisone, which, you know, makes you want to eat like crazy. Um, and so, so, so that was one crutch and then (laughs) it's just weird, weird things happen to me in my life, weird things. Um, so like six or seven months earlier, I had found a Florida identification in my sister's bedroom. Now my sister, she's a year and a half older than me and she always looked a lot older. You know, I mean, she's mm. very well developed at an early age. She was 14 and she had like a 24 year old boyfriend. I mean, you know, wow. like, <laughs> yeah. And she could pass for 19 at that age probably. Right. Um, well, so she used to hang out with these older guys and one person left his ID mm. in her bedroom. And he's mm-hmm. 26 years old. And I remember when I found it, this was before I got the diagnosis and everything. I looked at it and I was like, wow, this guy looks a lot like me. <laughs> and it's, then it started only, clicking in your brain. Exactly. The only difference was he had long hair. Right. And so I thought, hmm, maybe this will work. Let's wait a couple months see see what happens. <laughs> so I t- would take it to the store and I never got denied. Wow. Never. Wow. Only only one time, and that was in Kansas City, actually. Never got the night in Florida. So in addition to binge eating, um, I was a binge drinker. You know, wow. I would go to the liquor store. I would buy a fifth of vodka, and I would take a small cup, and I would just pour a little bit, chase it with some soda, Keep you know, until going. I started feeling a little something, and then I would stop, wait till it kind of wore off a little bit, drink more. And in between I would eat and whatever else. And so, um, you know, I learned how to, how to cope, you know, I mean, that, that was all I had. Um, and really I needed that, you know, when you don't have the Lord and you don't have the hope of heaven, you don't have the hope of redemption, right? All your hope is in doctors and medicine. And if you feel so horrible that you honestly wish that you were dead rather than go through it, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to keep from like just killing yourself? Right? Always looking for that alternative mm-hmm. to kind of just keep afloat, but not actually like, you know, getting the problem fixed. You're just putting like patches and then trying to put fingers in the holes that are just popping out of everywhere, every crevice, you know? Exactly. Yep. I mean, when I would wake up in the morning, my, my thoughts were, am I going to make it through the day? You know, am I going to survive today? You know, um, and, and if I survive, is it even worth surviving? You know, if my life is like this, cause you know, two years when you're that age feels like forever. And you know, when you're in the third month, <laughs> the fourth month and you're just like hating life, right? you know, it, 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 it's so an su- overwhelming thought. Suicide you know? had to do something like the thoughts of suicide. Oh yeah. I, I was never brave enough though. I was never brave enough. I always was just like. I don't know. Maybe I was optimistic. Maybe I was, I was scared. I don't know which, but nevertheless, between the alcohol and the food, (laughs) I was able to at least manage my emotions temporarily and and get through those really hard times. And so this was happening till you were how old? So uh, it started when I was uh, midway through my sophomore year. So I was like 15 and a half. And then, um, Actually, this month I'm celebrating a major milestone. So, wow. so ten months into the treatment, I mean, my body's in just horrible shape. Horrible shape. I mean, I was out at the beach, okay, on July fourth, nineteen ninety eight. First time I had really been out in like seven months, and my friends wanted me to go out there to watch the fireworks. And at one point, we were going to go from the beach to the village, uh-huh. right? And if you 
remember that's only yeah. a couple blocks, you know? Right. Um, and I didn't make it past those picnic tables wow. that are right along the road there. And you're like 20. I was, I was 15. Oh, Actually, 15, I just 15, 16. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I felt like I was going to pass out and they thought that they should call an ambulance maybe, but I was like, no, no, I was too embarrassed. You know? Yeah. But, um, but that's how bad I was, you know, condition wise. Um, plus I was 80 pounds heavier than I am right now. I mean, I had, I had boobs, you know, and a huge belly and, um, just all kinds of emotional distress all the time. And so I was, a, I was a wreck. Um, and this one night, my friend who I hardly ever hung out with, he calls me and he says, Hey man, there's a, there's a rave party going on tonight at Stardust skating rink. You want to go? And I was like, Oh, well, okay. I haven't done hardly anything in months. So sure. So I decided to ditch the, the quarantine life for a night. And I went there and, mm -hmm. um, it was the craziest thing. Like I went there and I saw all these people my age, these guys my age, and they were with girls and, you know, they had their shirts off and they felt confident, you know, you could just tell. And, and, um, I was there for like six hours, just people watching. And I tell you, I felt like the laziest, fattest, unhealthiest thing on wow. the earth that night, you know? And it was like, I think I needed that slap in the face to, and really to like get angry about it because what happened the next day was I went into my dad's bedroom, I grabbed his dumbbells and I started lifting weights. Two weeks later, I joined a gym and I went six days a week, five days a week for the whole rest of my So what happened to you? What happened basically. to your leukemia treatments? When did well, so I was still stop? in, I was still in treatment. So I was 10 months into the 26 month treatment. And I started to exercise, I started to eat healthy. And it really, that alone changed my life um, because it gave me something positive to focus on. It gave me goals, um, you know, and it made me feel better, you know? And so as I saw my body changing, I really developed this better way of coping with things, you know? Just there was like a more positive mindset. Like I actually felt like maybe improvement was possible. It wasn't just going to be all downhill, you know? Um, and so after 22 months of doing that, I had dropped 80 pounds of body fat, put on 40 pounds of muscle and could physically do anything I wanted. So I felt like I was on top of the world. And at that point I was done with the chemo. I was cleared, you know, they said I was in remission and wow. stamped my paperwork. Boom, you're done. And, uh, and I really felt like I had conquered the world, honestly. Mm. Like it was a, it was a game changer for me. Um, but here's the thing. Um, my habits that I had developed during mm. that, that time, uh, they like... remained, you know, I still had that, uh, that, that bend towards coping purely through substance abuse, you know, mm. and I had also gotten into, you know, smoking a lot of marijuana and, and, um, taking painkillers and, um, different things. I tried cocaine a few times at that point. Um, and so, and I was still drinking. So, you know, I had some legal trouble. I got arrested a few times. Um, but, you know, I had some momentum in my life. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't until I was 18 that um, the Lord got a hold of me and, wow. and, and so, really woke me up. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy how a teenager's uh, life from 14 to 18 years old got radically not uh what's called transformed but like radically changed to the point where you went to the lowest of the low mm -hmm. and then you, you slowly crept with all the strength that you had by human wise to a certain point where you're just like okay i've made it in my own mind you know mm -hmm. and so it's kind of just just crazy psychologically thinking from a nursing background what was going what was going on in your mind at that level where you were trying to achieve something because first of all when you're doing that time you always want to fit in so you're always trying to achieve something psychologically to fit into a certain group to have an identity to find a purpose in life that's usually what happens during that stage of development and at the same time you have this life uh terminal disease that's also trying to be treated as well so you have these two clashes that can happen and i and i want to go uh want to just stop in that for a second where you're going through this and all i can see is uh your family in the background what was going with them what was happening with them at that point just just in these four years with your family? I mean, it was a huge strain. I mean, my mom used to cry herself to sleep at night. I mean, she used to come to my hospital room late at night because she worked late hours at Tampa Airport. And she would come after work and she would 
get in the bed with me. And, you know, I always, I always wanted her comfort in that way. You know, I wanted to be with her. Embrace. I always felt like, you know, with her and with my dad, but, but, but my mom and I were really close growing up. So I always felt like with her, I had like this safety and security, you know? Um, and, uh, and she started to pray for me. She wow. Pray for me while I was in the hospital. And wow. She hadn't been praying for me that I know of that she told me, uh, before that. Um, and there were a couple of times where like I almost died and, um, you know, I was in the ICU and I was getting IV dopamine to keep my heart going. And, um, yeah, it was a close call. I, I find it interesting, you know, that sometimes we can not be praying about a situation or, you know, forget to pray about something, but somebody else can be praying for us and interceding for us on our behalf before the Lord, the same way as in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, uh, you know, the Lord, like if he sees just like, you know, that one person or a group of like two or three out of like a multitude, he'll still like spare and like hear that and be helping that person's situation because of the prayers of others and interceders of others. It's amazing that that happened. Mm -hmm. So you come to the Lord at 18. Well, sort of. Um, yeah, I hear the story cause so, I haven't heard this myself. So, um, so just rewinding a little bit. So before I had made that lifestyle change and started to exercise and everything. I was at a really low point in the treatments. Um, I used to get this one drug, it was called Aris-C and it was a clear, I mean, I can still see the it. bag now. It was a clear fluid. It was kind of a little bit hazy. Um, and they would only give it to me every four months or so, but within seven days after getting this drug, my immune system would be completely wiped out. I mean, oh, literally wow. at zero. And, basically from about the seventh day until about the 10th day was like when I needed to start preparing myself mentally, I would later find out for a, a hospitalization because I, I would get an, an infection and I would have to be hospitalized in wow. order to, to live through it. Um, and so I think it was either the first or the second time this was happening. We were on our way to the hospital. I got an immune system at zero. It's two in the morning and Literally, I'm thinking, like, I might not even make it there, you know? I mean, who knows, right? Mm. Um, and we're driving over the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, and I look out over the water, and I see the moon's reflection on the water, and all of a sudden, I start thinking about God. Mm. Um, and I never would think about God, never. And um, this time, I, I thought about God. I didn't have any concept of God, really, but I, I believed in a God. And I looked out at the moon and, and, and I just thought, wow, if there is a God, I don't want anything to do with him. Mm. He must not be good at all if I have to go through all this. And um, it, was, it was an intense moment, you know? I mean, it was one of those moments that just burns in your psyche because the, the pain right. that you feel in the moment, you know? It's like, why do I have to suffer? You know, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. And I just remember just making like, you know, how we make a decision for Christ. Well, it's like I made a decision against God or against, you know, anything mm. having to do with God in that moment. And I just was like, man, <laughs> if he is real, I, he can just keep to himself. I don't want nothing to do with him at all. Right. You know? And, um, and I think honestly, that's what really made me go over the edge with the with the drinking and with the drugs and everything, you know, because I just I stopped caring at that point. You know, I stopped caring about myself. I stopped caring about, about my life. And uh, so fast forward, I go through this radical physical and mental transformation, but spiritually, I'm still in the same place, same place. I'm still bitter. I'm still angry. I'm still like, why did I have to go through that? You know? So it was like a behavioral modification. Exactly. Yeah. Which thank God. I mean, I did, what I didn't know was that he was laying the foundation for my, my company that I was right. started years later. Right. Know? So he does turn everything around for good. Even things that happened long before you knew him. You Joseph. Know? Great example. Uh-huh. And he was implementing his plan since before I knew him. Come on. You know, Preach I it. mean, how does he even do that? You know, he's just so <laughs> I love that. I was just asking real quick. He's so <laughs> sovereign, you know? Yes. And so 
and he knew one day I'd be telling this story and that it right. would inspire somebody to give their heart to Jesus, you know? Right. Change so it around. it was all part of a plan, you know, but, um, but so, you know, here I am, you know, thinking that, you know, physically and mentally and whatever, you know, I'm like on top of the world, but like I said, spiritually, I was a mess. And, um, this one night, it was November 26th, 2000. I, uh, I was taking my girlfriend home and her dad, man, she was like, he was like really anal and really strict and he wanted her home at a certain time or else he military dad. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. He was, he was hardcore. But so, um, I asked my mom, I said, mom, can I take your car? Cause her car is a little faster. <laughs> you know, she's like, yeah, sure. Um, and you know, that was a lot of trust because I didn't have a, 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 a I didn't have a, a, an insurance card at that point. I didn't have functional right. insurance because I had actually gotten a DUI not that long before, mm. but she's like, ah, it'll be fine. So I take her home and it's raining, not super hard, but it's raining and the roads are wet. And we go around this one turn. It's like a 15 degree turn. It's on Clark road, just past I 75. And I'd taken this turn many times before. I mean, and I wasn't going that fast, maybe 60. Right. But I go around this turn and I start to feel the passenger wheels lift. Wow. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Now, I've studied physics, okay? <laughs> what should have happened at that moment was the car should have actually rolled. Right. That's that's normal. That's what would normally happen. Right. It should have rolled. It should have rolled onto the roof. I should have gone into the left side of the road, which was the mm -hmm. lane coming this way. And I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Maybe I would have bashed my head or had some other serious injury. My girlfriend wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Right. But my car didn't roll. Okay. My car, instead of rolling, actually went off the road. It lifted all the way up over an entire lane of traffic. And it landed on its roof on the grass like 20 feet from the road. Wow. I mean, it literally flew. What kind of bump did you hit? <laughs> it wasn't even a bump. It was a, it was a 15 degree turn. So I was that's... just making a quick turn. That's all. And it wasn't even that steep of a turn. It was, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe you slow down to 45, 50, but you know, I wasn't doing that much more than that. So this was so crazy, you know? So, so we flip and I'm like, I'm watching it all in slow motion, you know, through the, the windshield. I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on here? <sighs> and then we slid 300 feet. And when we came to a stop, all I could think was, Samantha, what's, where's Samantha? So I look around and she's in the back and she's like starting to cry. And so I get out of the car, I pull her out of the car and all of a sudden, I just go into like this trance of just fear and anxiety. And it's like paralyzing emotions, you know, like, oh my God, what just happened? You know, like freaking out mm -hmm. on the inside. <laughs> but the oh. crazy thing, and man, God bless my girlfriend. She's like, oh, no, where I gotta go? Where I gotta go? And I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't even speak. Right. Yeah. I mean, Shock. I, could, I just like was looking in the distance and she's shaking me. Chris, 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 what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you okay? Nothing. I could. Uh, it Comprehension was like, was like, like gone. one singular thought. Oh my gosh, what did I just do? What did I just do? What did I just do? Because I realized this was my mom's car. I have no insurance. It's a right. $25,000 brand new Honda Accord. Wow. She just got it. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And so <laughs> this is back before everybody had a cell phone. So like two or three cars stopped, but none of them had a phone. So they're like, all right, well, we'll, we'll try to find a phone and call the ambulance. You know, So right, we're standing right. there for like 30 minutes at least probably before the ambulance comes. And so they, <laughs> they get me put me in the stretcher. They, they kept asking me, are you on drugs? Are you on drugs? And that night I was not on drugs. I had not been drinking either. It was very unusual for me. Um, are you on drugs? I'm like, 
like I can't even answer, you know? And so they lay me down on this. This is how gone I look. They lay me down on the stretcher and I'm on the side of the road. And they didn't realize that they had laid me down on a pile of ants. A huge pile of ants. No. And so no. all of a sudden I'm feeling all these things crawling all over me. Oh. And I'm just like trying to mumble to them like ants. <laughs> I couldn't even get the words out. And it's like I was I'm such in freak out mode that I really just I mean, I didn't really care per yeah, se. I was just like, oh, it's a weird feeling, you know? And so then they get over there and they're like, oh, shoot, ants. <laughs> they wipe them all oh, off no. me and get me out of there. It's called, it's the... called shock paralysis. Oh, it's an dude. actual thing that can it happen. Was, it was nuts. It was nuts. And that's, so, that's um, crazy. so I get in the back of the, the car. I get taken to the hospital and and um, I'm in the room. And, and I mean, I'm in the room for probably 20 minutes at least still in this, this like, you know, oh my God. Um, meanwhile, I didn't have any injuries at all. Nothing, wow. not even a bruise. Neither did she. I mean, amazing. Miracle right, right there. Absolutely miraculous. Um, but I'm so afraid of what my mom's going to say, you know? And my mom walks, she's the first one I see come in the hospital room. And she sits down next to me and she puts her hand on my leg and she says, Chris, you're alive for a reason. Wow. You're going to do something special with your life. Come on. And I'm telling you, in that instant, all of that anxiety just left. And I had this peace that was so beautiful. Mm. Oh, my gosh. It was like, it was heaven. It was heaven. It was unlike anything I'd ever felt in my life. And I feel like the Lord had to keep me sober for it so I could really experience it, you know? What um, true peace feels like. Yeah, so that I could really see like that massive shift, you know, and it was just like, oh, wow. And then for the first time, I heard this voice inside me. It was unlike any voice I'd ever heard or that sounded like a thought. And the voice said, you are alive for a reason. You are going to do something special with your life. God is real. You can trust him. He kept you alive. And he kept you alive for a purpose. And man, no exaggeration. I went from the most bitter, hateful, you know, man towards God. I mean, just like, to like, thank you so much. I mean, it was like that. I mean, I just became so grateful, so in love with him. Like, I was like, wow. You're awesome. I mean, it was like, I mean, nothing was like revealed to me. Like there was no new information. Like I didn't right. hear some great testimony or, I mean, it was just like, it was like downloaded. Personal encounter. Yeah. Just like. And so, man, it was just so beautiful. And, um, and luckily my mom, she was definitely walking in the anointing of mercy because she right. did not... <laughs> <laughs> um, thank the Lord. Um, so we went home and everything was good. And, and, and my mom went to the scene of the accident the next day to take pictures. And, um, she came back and, uh, and she said something to me. She said, Chris, that scene of the accident, there's something, something about it. There's something special about it. She showed me a picture that she took. Wow. Michael. Do you still have that picture by any uh -huh. chance? Yep. We'll probably like pop it up here mm -hmm. so people that are watching can actually see it. Yeah, that'd be a really good idea. My car, okay, it went 300 feet, took out several trees, wow. and it landed in front of three giant, like 20 feet tall, white crosses. Wow. When my mom went out there and she saw that, she said that she had a spiritual experience. She said it was like... It was like she felt God out there. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And it was such a, a, a direct confirmation of what happened the night before in the hospital, you know? And so I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. Like, what's going to come next, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was still wearing the same clothes that I had on the night before. It was a long sleeve, gray shirt, long jeans. It was November, you know? It was right, a right. chilly night. And... Uh, 
there was no broken glass in the car. Like all the windows were intact and everything. There were no cuts on my shirt, no nothing like that. And I take my shirt off and on the same part of my arm where I had carved life sucks, I had four numbers written on my arm. What? It was like somebody took that exact same scalpel and just etched them. And they were like an inch tall. They were like that tall. Wow. Totally legible. I mean, to the point where if I just lifted my 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 sleeve, you, you would say, oh, one, two, one, four. What the heck is that? I mean, it was like to anybody. And I was like, what the what? You, I'm freaking out, like in a good way. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? What does it mean? And I knew it had to have something to do with what had happened the night before, you know, because I, I, I had a, I had a revival go on, but I didn't Come know on. what it, what it was, but I knew it had something to do with that. And I went to my mom and I said, mom, look at this. And she goes, what? I mean, she was so mind blown. And she said to me, she said, Chris, after what I saw at the accident site, I think that God is speaking to you. Hmm. And she gave me a Bible. My new age hippie mom, who just gave her life to Jesus last summer. Hmm. This is in 2000. She gives me a Bible. And she says, here, I think you should look and see what this means. Wow, that's amazing. The same woman who was praying for me in the hospital room. That's, that's insane. And so I'm thumbing through the Bible and... The only thing that I can think is that it has something to do with maybe a chapter 12, verse 14, or something like that, or maybe verses 12, 14, whatever. I, I, I don't really know. I have no strategy here. I'm just like on a scavenger hunt, you know? And so I'm thumbing through, and, you know, I get to the book of Job 12, 14, and it says, whatever man destroys thou cannot rebuild. I was like, Lord, are you just rebuking me again for destroying my mom's car? <laughs> but I didn't call him Lord back then. I right. said God. I didn't know who Lord was. Right. Um, but then I was like, there's got to be more than this. It's just this, you know? And so I keep thumbing through, keep thumbing through. I get to this one page in the book of Matthew and I hear this voice again. And it says, stop right there. You know, in a very firm but loving voice. And, uh, and I'm scanning down the page and I get to verses 12 through 14. Hmm. And man, is it just for me. So Matthew 7 verse 12 says, however you want man to treat you, treat also them for this is the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. Verse 13, it says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. But the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Right. And I'll tell you what, I mean, that just like penetrated the depths of my soul in that moment. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, this is for me, mm. you know, and I knew it had to do with my lifestyle and a lot of things, you know. But what did I do? <laughs> did I go and read more of the Bible? No, I didn't. I closed the Bible and I put it back on the shelf and I never opened another Bible for five and a half years. Right. Um, but, but I knew that I was a different person at that point. And um, so then that's when the real adventure started. You know, I started hearing that voice a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, I remember I used to drive out to uh, my girlfriend's house passing by the scene of the accident and I would hear that voice just, you know, reminding me of those words in the hospital room, you know? And I remember it was the first time that I had gone to her house after the accident. I see this big billboard at a church that's right up the street from where I had landed. Right. And it had this message on it that was so perfect for what I was thinking in that moment. It was like somebody had actually entered the conversation in my head and spoken to me about what I was concerned about in that moment in time, like what I was thinking about possibly happening when I got to my girlfriend's house. And I just remember thinking, wow, that must have been from God. You know, it was like kind of a laughing sort of thing. But then it kept happening over and over and over again. Every time I would go out there, the message would be perfect for what I was thinking. It was like my own little heavenly messenger, you know? And it got so 
precise and so consistent that I would sometimes be going through a dilemma or something. I wouldn't know what to do. And I'd be like, I need to go to the sign. <laughs> Maybe the sign will tell me what to do. And it always would. It was the craziest thing. So for like eight months, you know, I'm thinking like- Did you ever tell the pastor like, hey, your sign outside your church is always talk, I talking to me? I said that to him after I got saved years later. I went to that church. I told him that story. Wow. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yo, um, board meeting right now, right here. Uh, <laughs> that sign works. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's make it bigger. And, yeah, light it up brighter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just so Holy Spirit inspired, you know? And so, so- I started praying. I started hearing this voice. It would tell me to do things. And, and, and through that process of just talking to God and trying to listen to God and trying to follow God and seeing how God just sovereignly just orchestrated things, I just developed this faith that was just crazy. Like it was probably stronger than most Christians have. And I didn't even know Christ. I had no idea about the gospel. I had never read the Bible beyond that verse. Nothing. I knew nothing. And, uh, and so, you know, I didn't really know what the right way was to live. I knew I needed to go through the narrow gate, but I was like, well, you know, whatever. Why should I do that? I was kind of rebelling against that. And I got deeper into drugs, deeper into alcohol, started selling drugs, started doing all kinds of crazy things, but I still had this faith. It was just a weird dichotomy. Um, and so, you know, my life was getting pretty, pretty rough for a while. And, um, thankfully, you know, I shifted careers at one point and that definitely set me on a new trajectory, but really the turning point was meeting my, my now ex-wife. Um, when I started dating her, um, you know, I got exposed to Christianity for the very first time mm -hmm. because her family had a home group and they would meet together every Wednesday or Monday or whatever it was. And, and they would talk about God and, um, even though they were Hispanic, you know, and they would always be speaking Spanish. Like I knew what they were doing. They had Bibles and everything. And you I could thought, feel wow. the presence. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, they got faith just like I got faith, you know, and I never really like investigated what they were doing. Right. But it was like this continual witness. And then her aunts would talk to me about the Lord sometimes and they would pray for me a lot. And, and she ended up taking me to see Passion of the Christ when it was in the movie theater and and um, just like all these seeds were being sown, you know? And um, so, yeah, then it, uh, then it gets, it's, it gets pretty radical. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want to chime I was, in here I was for just, a second? Well, I, I was just, I was just thinking about uh, what all the things that you've been saying. It reminds mm -hmm. me of the, this one guy who actually died from a uh, drug overdose. He came into our rehab and he got, purely transformed his life was was really like going forward really well and all the pastors kind of told him do not go back to the same job you're doing do not go back to the same like you've been working so hard stare drugs and he went back to the same job and he just did the did the same dose of drugs and just died like wow. we hear so much and this young guy that just lost his life mm. and uh, he became one of my good friends and he was actually telling me a story he said that um one time when he was driving, he had like over 80 pounds of cocaine in his, like it was just loaded with cocaine in his car. And he was going to, over from California to Washington to sell in Washington. And so as he's driving, he goes over the bridge and the cops pull him over and they go up to search him. And he just starts praying to God, just like, I don't know where he just starts praying to God. And there he heard a voice saying, if you, if I save you here, you need to go to rehab. And uh, the cop literally just rolled off a ticket for a uh, backlight. That was like a brake light that was off. Didn't search his car, nothing. But he has, wow. he had warrants under his name. He had DUIs. Like he was not allowed, like he was, should not have been driving. And yet like pretty much he got saved from that. And so he came, dropped off his drugs, went straight to Florida for rehab. And here his life got changed and then. That one mistake that he took to his job again and he just went wow. down the trajectory. But he, so that's what I was, I was thinking. It's just like, even if you're an unchristian person, if you're not, if you're not solely devoted for Christ and your life, God's not, you know, God will still start pulling you, as he says in Hosea, with gentle mm -hmm. cords of love. Yeah. Starts pulling you in. And there is those kind of moments where you're yeah. just like, you need to turn to somebody. And the first thing you think about is turning to Christ. So I think that that's, that's something that, that a lot of people uh, don't think about like, oh, 
you know, the unbelievers, they also start getting pulled, not only the Christians, but also the unbelievers. They're getting pulled because God's getting them ready for a certain moment where he can start to grow. Wow. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was definitely in a process, that's for sure. You know, and, um, you know, it's like, it's like fruit or any other thing that you grow, you know, there's timing to it, you know, definitely between when you plant and when you harvest, there's a lot of time and there's a lot of work and there's a lot of just patience and, you know, just letting things play out. And so that's how it was with me, you know, I mean, yeah, I had that seed sown at 18, but all through this next period, you know, it was growing, it was growing, but then, you know, the Lord knew that I was ready to really begin to ripen. And that's right. why he connected me with this Christian family. You know, first Christians I ever knew, really. Wow. Um, and uh, so, so, um, so I was I was actually what's called we're actually uh, cutting in close in time. I wanted for you to um, go into a the testimony that you told me once about how you actually gave your life to God, where that beach. And I want you to just speak about the beforehand and then when when it, what actually happened. Sure. Um, so. So yeah, so I, I started working in a different career, um, you know, the, back when I thought I wanted to be a chef. So I was working in restaurants and then, you know, didn't like that. And so I ended up going into this field and, um, you know, was pretty successful right off the bat and was feeling like I was accomplishing my goals, you know, and by that point I was married. We moved to a nice place in Bradenton right on the Manatee River and, <clears throat> you know, at 23 years old. When you have that, plus you have a booming career and you have respect from your peers, you know, and your parents think you're doing great, you know, then you feel like you're, you know, on A1 top of the sauce. world kind of, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, what more do I need, right? Um, but there was this perpetual emptiness, you know, like it was just never enough. There was no real contentment, no real satisfaction. And so at that point, I had been sort of removed from the drug habits for a while. I'd moved to a different city, had different peers and everything. And, and it kind of left that behind in Sarasota. But once I got, you know, this taste of success and realized that like, it really wasn't all that I thought it was cracked up to be, I didn't know where else to turn to kind of like fill that void. So I went back into doing drugs again. And uh, so my buddy and I, we'd get together, we'd get a little bit of cocaine, we'd go to the strip club and come back home the same night and, you know, get up, go back to life, you know. But then this one week, I started working with this guy who told me he was a big time cocaine dealer and he was only 16 years old. And he's like, man, I get the stuff from Miami. It's the best stuff ever. And da-da, it's really cheap. And I was like, wow, um, why don't you sell me a whole bunch? You know? <laughs> so I mean, well, stupid, right? I like what going to get some thrill out of selling some drugs or making a couple hundred bucks, you know? Uh, so stupid, but, um, nevertheless, I got an ounce of cocaine. Um, and, uh, and I started doing it on a Friday night and I did not go to sleep all weekend. I was up Friday night. I was up all day Saturday, all night Saturday, Sunday morning. I still haven't gone back home. My wife doesn't know where I am. I mean, it's, it's, it's not good, you know? And uh, Sunday morning, I'm thinking, okay, this is like my last chance to really like have fun before I go home and face the music. So I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to look for a woman to have you know, some kind of wild party with, and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll go from there. So I get there and the sun is just coming up. And I see all these people dressed in really nice clothes walking onto the beach. And there's a whole bunch of them. I'm like, what is going on here? So I walk over and there's this huge group of people all sitting on the beach and there's a cross out there and there's a guy talking about God. And, you know, I'm like, what is going on? But I'm so gone in my mind, you know, that I can't really focus on what they're saying. But mm. I was so intrigued by the fact that they were meeting right there on the beach that I couldn't look away, you know? And Such I'm boldness. Like, what is going on here? And while I was watching their meeting, I heard that voice. Mm. And this time the voice said something that I've never heard him say before. He said, your life is not right with God. Wow. You need to get right with God. Mm. And I was like, oh. And I started feeling all this like shame and guilt and all this. And I'm like, what do I do? So all I felt led to do was to walk down to the end of the beach to a place where I was all by myself, you know, and just start to pray and talk and make sense of this all. So I look up and I was like, God, I need your help. I need you to change me. Please, please help me. 
And I had this vision come in my mind of going into the water and dunking myself under the water. And I just felt like when I came out, I was going to be different. And so, and I didn't know anything about baptism, you know, never heard about it, never saw it. So I just had this vision. So I went out in the water, dunked myself in the water and I came out. And even though I didn't feel different right away, everything was different because when I went back home and started trying to do more drugs, I wouldn't get high. It would actually make me feel worse. So I'm like, Ugh, I don't want this. So I gave it to my friend. And I, at that point was like a man on a mission to change his life, you know? And so then that voice started really speaking to me a lot, a lot, a lot. And it would tell me to go to different places. Like one night it told me to go to Walmart and it told me to go to the book section. And when I got to the book section, it said, look down. And the book that it highlighted was the seven, what was it called? It was Joel Osteen's uh, something, you know, your best life now, how to live your best life now. And I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know nothing about the book, but I bought it and I was listening to it. It was the first time I ever heard scripture quoted to me audibly. Mm. So I'd listen to that over and over again. Then one day the voice told me to drive to, to, to Dade city, to Dade city, Florida. Yeah. You know, and it was after I had this vision of the exit number I was supposed to turn off of. And, and the voice said, that's where you're supposed to go. Wow. And it just supernaturally direct. And this is a longer story, you know, but yeah. for time, you know, it supernaturally directed me to a church where I heard testimonies of people's lives that have been changed by God by Jesus, by the Bible. And I remember I left that church. My wife was with me. I said to her, I said, I think Jesus is the way. I think I need to follow Jesus. <laughs> it's like I just knew <laughs> after I heard these testimonies. That's why these testimonies are right. so powerful. Yes, so, amen. So, you know, they can change lives. Amen. So then the next weekend, I went to church with her family. It was all Hispanic, so I'm, you know, not really hearing <laughs> anything that's that's being preached per se, but, you know, I'm, I'm with them emotionally. And at the end, they gave an altar call, raised my hand. I went to the, the front. This guy prayed for me in tongues, which I thought was Spanish. <laughs> and he got a message for me. And the message was that God had his hand extended for me, and all I had to do was take it. And um, I kind of thought I was doing that already, you know, because I had driven all the way to this church in Dade City, you know, and never having been there before. And I told him that, but he said, no, there's more. And he said, this, this Friday, Chris, we are starting our encounter weekend. We do it every three months and starting this Friday. And that's where you're going to learn all about God. And, and, and that's where you're going to encounter God. And I was like, sign me up, man. I'm there. And I was so excited about it, too. All week long, I went there Friday night. The Lord radically encountered me. I remember I was there that night. And I'm just in this place of just like, awe and wonder. I mean, all these things had happened since I got out of that water, you know, I mean, the voice was telling me to go this place, that place. And I was just like feeling like I was right in the center of the will of God and right in the center of the heart of God, you know? And so I get there and, and, and the Lord, he does a supernatural work in my heart the very first night. Um, you know, I hadn't thought about this in years and years, but he had reminded me of this sexual abuse that I had when I was a child. And then he showed me how it affected me throughout the course of my life. And then I heard that voice say, now the curse is being lifted off you, Chris. And then I felt the hand of God come down and pull this thing out of me. It was like a festering, nasty ball of junk, you know? And I felt so different and so free. And for the first time, I looked at my brothers there, you know, and I was like, really in love with them. Like I would be in love with a brother, you know, like yeah. I was like, well, I want to hug you, man. Like you're awesome. <laughs> Never had that before. And then the very next day, you know, I got my piece of paper with all my sins written on it. And, and, uh, the pastor says, you know, if you want to receive salvation and forgiveness, come down and nail this thing to the cross. And so I ran down and well, yes. come on, went back to my seat, wrote in my journal, you are saved. May 20th, 2006, 4.04 p.m. Come on. And Praise so that God, was the man. the day that everything changed. And so after that weekend, I mean, I was a radically altered human being. <laughs> wow. Radically altered. I mean, it was like what happened in the hospital times a thousand. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was like walking on clouds. Like I was... Like when, when, when you have all your sin taken away that you have accumulated throughout your entire life, through 23 years of wickedness. I mean, you know, right. sleeping with all kinds of people, doing all kinds of crimes. I mean, I was arrested five times, had lied a whole bunch, stole. I, I was arrested once for robbery. I mean, 
you know, I was a, I was a bad dude. I mean, good heart, but just bad actions, you know? Um, <laughs> but I had all of that just lifted off of me and man, did I feel like a brand new human. And so ever since then, I've just been like, Oh, all I want is you Lord. And so uh, actually, actually what's called, we are on time uh, to end up right now, but <clears throat> Let's talk about this for a second. I want you to, I know you were sharing your testimony and I think that impacted a whole lot of people. It's a very powerful, it's a very long, juicy testimony that has a lot of different, you know, you can see the the hand of the Lord guiding different things in your life. And it's pretty crazy. Like if you think about it, just you drove to Date City following a voice. If uh, Following a vision of a number. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you drove following a vision of a number. Like if... Uh, you were in Christian, you'd be schizophrenic. Like that's kind of like the thing. And I, so I, I thought I might be going a little crazy. So that's, so that's the thing. Like, like <laughs> the so way, the way God was in the car with me. Yeah. The way God <laughs> led you is just, is just crazy. So I love, I love that he came to this point where he just said this, this, this is time I'm taking away all everything. I'm giving you a brand new life. Yeah. Start walking it. But I want you to just give off a little closing statement for like one to two minutes and then we can just end it up with prayer and then we'll be done with that. If you want to just speak to the audience straight one-on-one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know, uh, you know, how you feel about him. I don't know, um, you know, what your history is, but I know that he is good. I know he has a plan for you. And it's amazing, you know, when you hear the stories of people, how you see the nature and the character of God, um, God's character is that, you know, he, he does things intentionally, you know, he puts us here for a reason and and he put you here for a reason and he is sovereignly orchestrating things in your life to put you in a place where you're going to receive revelation about him and i believe that that's why you're on uh this video or this this podcast right now um and it might be that you know your faith just needs to go up a, a degree or two or it might be that you know you need to fully surrender your life to the lord for the very first time you know whatever it is you know you're here for a reason listening to this for a reason and um so just know that the lord uh he's got such amazing things in store for you you know all you got to do is surrender to him he is good his ways are better than our ways mm -hmm. and the world's ways and that's what i learned of all those years of you know, living in the world and, and, and enjoying just the pleasures of sin for a season is that the things of God are so much better. I mean, they're so much better. That's what we were made to enjoy. And sin separates us from those things. So if you haven't given your life to Christ and you haven't given him your sins, man, you're missing out. So I just encourage you to just, uh, wherever you're at on the spectrum, just go deeper with God. If you've never given your life to him, give it to him today. If you have before, go deeper with him, obey him more, seek him more, spend more time with him, just love on him more, and he'll do amazing things in your life. I, I, I know it. That's so awesome. If you want to just pray for the audience, pray for that person, it'd be awesome. To Amen. Well, Father, I just thank you so much yes. uh, for your amazing, amazing grace, your amazing goodness. Lord, we just are so grateful, God, that you are such a good, good God. Lord, um, we just love your nature. We love your character. We love your ways. We love uh, how you think. We love everything about you, God. And uh, I just pray, Lord, for every person that is watching or listening, God, to receive just a greater revelation of who you are. Lord, that nothing um, of the enemy, no, nothing of the father of lies, Lord, would cloud their interpretation and their understanding of who you are, God, that they would just have a clear clear understanding of your goodness, God, that they would see the love that you have for them displayed by your giving of your son, Jesus, on the cross in our place, that they would see your power when they think about creation and how you breathed it all out of your mouth at the beginning of time, that they would see uh, your desire for intimacy with them as they meditate on the Holy Spirit and why you sent the Spirit to be with us, God. And Lord, I just, uh, I just pray, Lord, that your will will be done and your kingdom will come in the lives of every person watching and listening, God, down to the smallest details, up to the biggest, biggest situations, God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, for Chris, for coming on. It was really an honor to have you. Yeah. And Thank I you so much. It's my pleasure, man. You guys are awesome. I mean, I am so encouraged to see... The, the work that God has done in you guys. I mean, you don't have faith like you have 
without there being a lot of work to build it over time, over years, over trials and tribulations. And I just um, am so grateful that you guys have said yes to the Lord continually and that you're still running hard after him and drawing other people towards him. It just encourages me so much. So thank, thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you, God bro. for you guys. Thank you for that. Yeah. And guys, if, if uh, you guys are still uh, here and you guys are still watching, make sure you guys like, subscribe, share it to your friends, share it to people who need to hear the gospel and just this powerful testimony that Chris has given to us today. And leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. That helps get the word out. Thank you, guys. See you next time. Goodbye.